Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with uh, part two of our ranking series. So we're coming at you with our top 20 running backs today. Last week we did quarterbacks. If you missed that video, go check it out. Um, we consensus the two of our rankings into our top 20 running backs. And we're going to go through them kind of one by one uh, today and also talk about running back draft strategy at the beginning of the video like we did for quarterbacks. So uh, Danny, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Ready to indulge on some running backs. Pretty exciting. I mean, Definitely, we all know in the fantasy industry that having these elite running backs is how you win your fantasy football championships. We all know who uh, the number one guy is going to be, and he helped a lot of people win their championships. We'll get into him after before anything, before we have to do anything, uh, anything you want to add? Uh, no, before we hit the intro, I want to just preface this by saying we're not going to go super in-depth on each of these guys because at some point or another, we've gone in-depth on them, and if we um remember like while we're going into them we'll kind of offhandedly mention hey this video we went more in depth go check it out uh kind of stuff like that but if at any point during this video you feel like you received some value make sure you smack the like button leave a comment down below subscribe to the channel if you're new and hit the uh, notification bell because we post videos pretty much every day so without further ado let's hit the intro hit that Okay. All right. Sorry. So I'm going to get into the running back strategy part before we get into the rankings, because this really is the more important part. As I mentioned for quarterbacks, we're going to get shit wrong. You're going to get shit wrong. Everyone's going to get shit wrong. None of us know jack shit, but the reality is the strategy part of running back is what, how you win and lose your championship. Like as Danny mentioned, the running back position in a single quarterback league, uh, we'll just preface with that is the single most important position in fantasy football, because it is the most scarce position in fantasy football. So the polar opposite of the quarterback position in a single quarterback league is the running back position. As I mentioned, if you don't get your running backs early this year, your fantasy team will be like the convicts before they found Earl Maggot. Like you're, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be fucked. Like you're not gonna have any chance of winning without getting good running backs this year. So think about it this way. There's like 20 and that's a generous number, solid fantasy options at running back each year and in drafts this year. When most teams have two, maybe three solid fantasy options at receiver. And again, I'm assuming it's a one quarterback league. So that the, the scarcity at the running back position is by far the most of any position in a one quarterback league. I mean, fully. I mean, you mentioned it. The, the uh, we'll say like the, I don't know, but like prototype or most common, yeah, we'll go with most common uh, draft would be a 12 team draft at this point. And you mentioned it. There's only realistically what? 20 maybe max 25 relevant running backs that's 24 running backs at the minimum that each team has to start and the scarcity even between number one to number 25 is just insane i mean we saw christian mccaffrey last year 29.5 ppr points per game i bet you two top 10 backs would probably equal that amount like that's just how valuable yeah. a guy like that realistically is so make sure you get these absolute workhorses league winners at the top of your draft first round second round Otherwise, you're going to be left with uh, a couple of the names that don't even make this list that are actually going in the third round. We'll kind of briefly mention them later on, uh, you know, expected names that didn't make it. But if you guys know us, you should pretty much have an idea of what we're talking about there. Yeah. And so as you just kind of teased there, mid-round running backs usually bust. Like the rate is very high of busting. Let me just give you an example. In 2019, so last year at this time, these were the guys that were going from rounds four to seven. And some of these guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, he was pretty good. Some of these guys are going to be like, oh, man. Melvin Gordon held out. Wasn't that good. Marlon Mack, okay. Philip Lindsay, okay. Tevin Coleman. Miles Sanders was good, but not until the end of the season. Duke Johnson, yikes. Darius Geis, yikes. Darwin Thompson, <laughs> big yikes. Latavius Murray, yikes. Austin Eckler, that's the only, like, actual hit that I spot on this list. And I, I was generous with this, and I said it was, like, a 30% hit rate. When you could yeah. have had Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods, Kenny Galladay, Julian Edelman, Cooper Cup, Mike Williams, Tyler Boyd, Josh Gordon. Those were the guy, the receivers going in the same area. Now, I mean, Mike Williams and Josh Gordon were like the only busts out of those guys, in my opinion. The rest of them yeah. were all good. And Mike Williams had a thousand yards, so I wouldn't even <laughs> say he completely and, busted. And there were still even like receivers that like 
maybe on ADP basis, we're not going in that range, but I've seen go in that area. I mean, yeah. a guy like Michael Gallup, for example, really broke out last year. He was Portland going in Sutton, like that. for example, was going Portland Sutton, that exactly. Area. I mean, it's just there's so many receivers in the mid-rounds ultimately here. That's why you want to lock up your running backs early because the fall-off between the top running backs and those uh, mid-round running backs is much deeper than the drop-off between those top receivers and the receivers we just mentioned, like guys like Godwin, for example, were absolute league winners taken in this range last year, which you really wanted to have ended up with a Marlon Mack over a Chris Godwin because of team need. Like, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. And it's much easier, much, much easier to identify breakout receivers and breakout running backs, in my opinion. Talent for the receiver position matters much more than opportunity. When you're a talented running back, you are at the bane of your coaching staff. Think of guys like Kenyon Drake. We've waited for this dude to break out for like five years. Same goes for Derrick Henry. Before when um, DeMarco Murray was in front of him, we, we could love Derrick Henry as much as we wanted and think he was a super talented running back that he turned out to be. But until you get opportunity, you're nothing in fantasy. You need to have opportunity to be a good running back in fantasy. With receivers, guys like A.J. Brown, we were like completely like off A.J. Brown once he got drafted to the Titans, but the talent won out. Like sometimes that just happens. So the consistency argument, I, and I hear people make this argument, oh, I want to go with Devontae Adams over Kenyon Drake at the uh, one-two turn because he's more consistent. That argument really doesn't apply because there's usually only one receiver in the league every year that is uh, like a, a solid start, like doesn't bust um, less than 20% of the time. Last year, it was Michael Thomas. The year before that, it was Devontae Adams. There will probably be three to six running backs every year that have like an 80% like RB2 or better kind of uh, rate on a weekly basis. So the consistency argument is definitely in favor of the running backs and not the receivers. 100%. I mean, just in general, you look at the top running backs in the league last year. I mean, obviously, we know Christian McCaffrey, what he did was just basically before 06 LT was unprecedented. Now I'm going to kind of go into him in a bit, but that LT, you got, or uh, not LT, you got CMC, you got guys like Aaron Jones last year. Who really he wasn't out. very consistent, but guys I mean, like Nick Chubb was like, there was a sorry. lot of last year that were very consistent. I meant to say Dalvin Cook, not Aaron yes. Jones for the record. Ezekiel Elliott. Even we saw at the beginning of the season before Kamara really faced his uh, injury, like he was one of the most uh, consistent backs in the game. Just simply put, he was absolutely involved in the receiving game that was ultimately blowing his points. That's the main difference I find between running backs and receivers, obviously. And since that running backs can get their consistency from both the rushing game and the receiving game, while receivers have to solely rely on, okay, how many times is my quarterback actually going to throw me the ball today? Realistically. Yeah, and sometimes elite receivers have four target games. Like it just, yeah. it just happens sometimes. Maybe they have a bad matchup. Maybe the quarterback woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. Like, you know, for a fact that even I'm not even going to use the top guys as an example. I'm going to use a guy like Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is like RB 12, RB 14 consensus. You know, Nick Chubb is getting 20 carries a game. Like you absolutely know he's touching the ball 20 times a game. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into him, but uh, starting off top 20 running backs. If y'all thought we were starting off with any other name than the one I'm about to say, y'all may as well just turn off the video right now. Cause we have been hyping this guy up for valid reason all off season. He is the clear, clear number one in fantasy football, and it is not a debate to me. He is basically in my rankings right now. There's the Christian McCaffrey tier, and then you talk about everybody else. But Christian McCaffrey, I mean, he had the pinnacle season for a fantasy running back in the last 14 years since that 2006 LT season, as I kind of prefaced uh, before we went into this. I mean, run CMC is still the easy 101 in every single format. You're talking about standard, half PPR, full PPR. It does not matter. He is the 101. After looking at it, 29.5 PPR points per game in 2019. And that was on 19 total touchdowns. Whereas in LT's 06 season, where he only outproduced Christian McCaffrey by 10 total points, he did on 31 touchdowns. 12 more touchdowns, only 10 more points on the season. If you're looking at it, it's I like mean, four Leonard Fournettes. Oh, man, we'll, we'll get into that guy later. But the, the funniest argument I find is, like, people love using, like, oh, our RBs don't finish number one in back-to-back seasons. That's why that's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. That's, that's why CMC's not going to do it this season. Dude, he finished 0. 0.3 points behind Saquon Barkley in 2018, despite not coming into his own until week eight. If you actually took his splits from week eight on, he averaged 27.47 PPR points per game from that point on. 
So, I mean, we just haven't seen a running back with this type of season or not season, ceiling, since LT and Prime Marshall Falk. I mean, this guy literally broke the reception record last year, 116 receptions, 1,000, 1,000, 19 total touchdowns. I mean, he is a once-in-a-decade type fantasy-type asset. And in general, I mean, people just trying to poke holes in him are realistically not not valid because this is the only guy in the league that you can say is going to be a top-five rusher while also being top-five in receptions in the league. It's just insanity to me. I mean, this guy, with improvements at the quarterback position, he's got Teddy Bridgewater coming in. We kind of mentioned that in the, the latest video. And that Joe Brady system. I mean, there is no reason whatsoever to fade this guy. Like, none whatsoever. Like, you, if you have the 101, you automatically are at an advantage to the rest of the field. Yeah, yeah. That's like, 100% a fact. Because I've said this in my home league because they don't really believe me, but how much of uh, – um, thing and like the guy at the top of the draft is like oh should I pick Barkley or McCaffrey I'm like dude pick McCaffrey just do it don't even think twice about it he's a New York Giants fan too which doesn't help and yeah. he might fuck up and pick Barkley because of that but either way in uh kind of segueing into the second guy on our list it is Saquon Barkley he's the most gifted running back in the NFL I didn't say he's the best running back in the NFL he's the most gifted running back in the NFL and he is in for a major bounce back season after a high ankle sprain just ruined his 2019 campaign Jason Garrett comes in, which virtually guarantees he'll see an increase in receiving volume, in my opinion. Um, I believe it was uh, uh, Matt Kelly from uh, Roto uh, – or Player Profiler, the guy who runs Player Profiler, went in depth like on Jason Garrett's effect on Saquon Barkley. And he's really kind of um, looking forward to the, the receiving increase that Barkley's set to see with Jason Garrett coming in. And even, even without it, like an 88.9% opportunity share – for Saquon, that's elite volume. That is prime Adrian Peterson. Like, that is the volume you're getting. And there's only two other running backs that had more volume than that last year. And it was McCaffrey and, and Leonard Fournette, oddly enough. <laughs> I didn't even mention that when it came to Fournette. Or uh, not Fournette. When it came to McCaffrey. I mean, this guy, literally, I, I don't have the come exact, off the field. I, don't, I think he had, what, a 96% snap share last year? Yeah. Like, okay. Anyways, let's go back to Barkley. I'm just still enamored with, Bar uh, with McCaffrey, man. <laughs> yeah. So for Barkley, he has 23 opportunities per game. Like, and when you're that good of a player like Barkley is, when you're touching the ball 23 times a game, that should like you should take a step forward in your career just year over year. And the injury kind of stifled that for him. So I think the offense in general is going to be better this year because Daniel Jones was a rookie last year. They added Andrew Thomas. I know they lost Nate Solder because he opted out. But, I mean, I, I don't think Matt Pert and Nate Solder that like much. Like, Nate Solder isn't good. Andrew Thomas is an upgrade over Nate Solder, in my opinion, at left tackle. And I'd assume they're going to play Pert at right tackle. So I'm not really worried about the offensive line. Like, Barkley is so good that it doesn't really matter to me. And uh, I, I just think Saquon, just lock him in at the number two. I know he's got a tough schedule at the beginning of the season, but it doesn't really matter to me when you're getting the volume he's getting at the talent level he has. Yeah, I mean, I actually mentioned this in the recent ADP battles. I'm glad you kind of prefaced the schedule. This would be the only reason to kind of have pause because I do still have been that tier with uh, with Elliot and Kamara after the McCaffrey tier. I kind of just have him on his own right now. But the main difference uh, as to why, because personally, like if it just came to like equal schedules, he would kind of be in the tier of his own as a number two. But because of the schedule, I mean, he only has two favorable matchups in, I believe, Russia, Russia efficiency and three positive matchups in overall defensive efficiency over his uh, – first 10 games I believe I mean you can double check that but yeah I think uh, I think it's he, it, it might be flipped first like six weeks or whatever yeah, I think it's no it, no no it was 10 because I remember uh in the ADP battles I might have flipped them it might have been number three and against defensive and number uh three positives against defensive and two positives against rush defense but either way I mean it's it's a tough defensive schedule he has to face but I mean it's Saquon Berkeley I don't care who the fuck he's playing he still has an equal chance to absolutely explode in any single given week. I mean, this guy's just a freaking Any single nature. given carry, too. He can literally. 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 I, do you remember his first game? I, I owned him his rookie year. Do you remember his first game against Jacksonville when he couldn't do anything? Yes. And then he broke, like, a 68-yard touchdown run? Like, I mean, that's just what Saquon Barkley does. And you know for a fact he's getting two absolute monster games this year because he plays the Redskins twice a year. And he <laughs> literally owns them. For sure. I mean, and, and to begin with, for whatever reason, I mean, uh, when it comes to just imagine Jason Garrett. I mean, I love the Cowboys, but Jason Garrett's going to want to get this guy the ball in space against Dallas. Just kind of get back at his old team. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. Plain and simple. Jason Garrett's going to say, okay, Saquon Barkley, you are our absolutely most gifted player on offense. I don't give a fuck where you are, when you are, how you are. If you're getting the ball against my team, because I got to prove a message. I mean, that's a little, that's a little narrative but fuck, we'll go right, with it. Because let's get into Zeke, and I'm, I'm going to limit you to two minutes on your guy, because I know you're a Cowboys fan. Tangents <laughs> with Cowboys players. I mean, this is the ranking. We both have him at three. This ranking is because of, of consistency. I mean, this guy, he's consistent as they come. When it comes to having a full 16-game slate from Ezekiel Elliott, you know you're basically going to be guaranteed 1,300-plus yards rushing, 1,800-plus yards from scrimmage, and 10-plus touchdowns, given that's just what he's done over the first four years of his career. I mean, first four years, RB2, RB3, RB5, RB5, and points per game throughout his career. I mean, this guy, he is a virtual lock to finish top five in total touchdowns in the league. And given how high of a ceiling this offense has in Dallas, he could potentially be the number one in terms of total touchdowns in 2020. So, I mean, if you're looking at it, he led the league in red zone attempts with 61 last year, 11 rushing touchdowns in the area. I mean, just in general, on a per-game basis, he is the epitome of high ceiling, high floor. I mean, this guy has failed to reach 10 PPR points in a game only three times in his four-year career. I mean, this guy, you lock him into your lineup, you set it and forget it, and you know he's going to be a consistent producer for your fantasy team, a crucial part of your roster every single game, every single year. Lock him in. He's my number three. I'm just, uh, he's yours as well. Yeah, no qualms here. I, I've mentioned this before, but he has literally had the opportunity to produce as a, an RB2 or better in every single game of his career. He's gotten 18 opportunities plus every game of his career. Like he, there's the only time he is like not produced is probably because of matchup or he just didn't play well or whatever. It's not that he like has ever been like game scripted out of anything. Like he is as safe as they come at the running back position. Another guy who's very safe at the running back position, in my opinion, is uh, Alvin Kamara, who is our consensus RB4. We both have him at four, I believe. Yeah. And ECR and ADP are both in agreement with us. So yeah. He suffered a high ankle sprain last year, just like Saquon Barkley. And it came out recently that he also was suffering from, I believe it was like an MCL sprain or an MCL tear, which he, he basically he tore his knee up and it affected him on and off throughout the entire season. The five games he played prior to week six when he got injured, was he, he was averaging like almost 20 PPR points per game. He has yeah. positive touchdown regression incoming. Like he's averaged 15 and a half touchdowns combined rushing and receiving throughout his career. And he only had six last year in the 14 games that he appeared in. So I, I'm really not worried about Alvin Kamara at all. I think he's right back into that elite tier that he's always been in his career. He's a special player. He was just a victim of bad luck last year. Him going down, Breeze going down, touchdown regression hitting him. Like, I, I just think he's going to be right back in with the, the Barclays, the Zeeks, and the, the McCaffreys next year. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. I mean, we're going to mention another name later on uh, in terms of PPR upside, but he's a virtual lock, in my opinion, to be a top four receiving back in the league. I mean, you got McCaffrey, you got Barkley, you got him, and then we're going to talk about the fourth guy uh, in two rankings, actually. But, I mean, Alvin Kamara is just as safe as they come. Everybody knows the narrative by now, 81 receptions in each of his first three seasons. But last year, he did it in not even a full 60 game slate. Realistically, if this guy is healthy, he should flirt with 90, 95 receptions if we're building off of basically his pace last year. Not to mention, I mean, we, we've said it multiple times, we haven't seen a full season of him without Mark Ingram. Yeah, we, exactly. saw, we saw at the beginning of 2018 when he had that increased workload without Mark Ingram, who, yes, is a better running back than Latavius Murray, guys just for the record. Uh, yeah, he was more volume too. Mark Ingram got way more volume than Latavius Murray got last year without Kamara or like when Kamara was in the lineup. Latavius Murray only averaged like 10 opportunities per game. Like he wasn't getting the 15 to 18 opportunities per game that Mark Ingram got when he was there. For sure. I mean, when this guy is on the field, realistically, these three guys I mentioned, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, all have a claim for that number two spot, in my opinion. They're all in that same tier. You end up with any one of those guys in your top four, you're picking top four, you guys got to be through the roof with happiness because those guys are studs. But anyways, let's get into the number five guy. Uh, I mean, I have him in that third tier, but he is still a phenomenal talent. I mean, if he had that type of receiving upside, he could very well challenge for that number two, number three spot. And I'm talking about Derrick Henry because to, to start off, the fact that he's still number five without that receiving upside just shows you how much rushing upside this guy has. I mean, he is the best bet in the entire NFL to lead the league in both rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. 
building off a 2019 campaign where he was just an absolute bowling ball. I mean, he was – what we saw from Derrick Henry is what we've seen in glimpses throughout his career. We finally saw it through a 16-game pace. 15 games, actually, he missed a game. And he was absolutely absurd. He recorded north of 300 rushing attempts and turned those into 1,540 rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns in those 15 games. And according to NFL.com's Nick Shook, he was actually the most valuable runner in the NFL by a wide margin last year, according to the stat of rushing yards above expectation. So I'll show you guys on the screen, but basically he ranked first in that statistic. And it, what it basically does is it gauges how efficient a running back is on a per carry basis compared to what the offensive line would block. So say the offensive line with, a, with an average running back would block for 4.1 yards per carry. Derrick Henry, Derek, Henry would record 5.1. So that's basically what he did last year. He recorded on average per carry plus 1.05 rushing yards over expectation per attempt, basically meaning that the offensive line created four yards per carry and he actually turned it into 5.1. If you're actually looking at this compared to the rest of the league, he was a full 0.14 yards above the second best guy in Nick Chubb last year, which is just a substantial margin when you actually look at the rest of the list. He was a, almost a full 0.1 of a yard. Basically, every 10 carries, he would produce an extra yard compared to Nick Chubb. It's just insane to think about. Like, obviously, it's not going to sound like much because it's, oh, 0.14, whatever. But when you extrapolate that over 300 carries, like this guy is churning out yards. And he easily was the best pure runner in the entire NFL last year, metrics included. Derrick Henry, I mean, lock him in. He's number five. We'll get into number six, kind of the guy I was alluding to before when mentioning the top receiving backs in the NFL. But take it away, Corey. He's our boy. Go ahead. Uh, just one thing on Derrick Henry. I know some people might be like, oh, if he was so good last year, wouldn't you expect him to regress? No, I wouldn't. Because Derrick Henry is that good, and he's going to be that good. And defenses aren't going to figure Derrick Henry out because they knew he was getting the ball last year too. Like, it's not like he just burst onto the scene. Like, I don't know, like Miles Sanders did this his rookie year or something like they know, they knew who Derrick Henry was before this. They knew him from his 2018 back half of the season breakout and nothing's changed. Derrick Henry getting the ball 25 times a game is a guarantee. Like it's just going to happen. So for sure. Uh, I'm actually going to, I was actually going to mention one more thing. I actually have it here too. I'll show the stat on the screen, but Based off expectations, he should have rushed for 1,207 rushing yards last year. So he basically, on his own sheer God-given talent ability, created 314 extra yards rushing last year. So, I mean, that's just phenomenal. Take it away, Austin Eckler. Had to add that last second. Yeah, so up until this point, we've kind of been in line with ECR and ADP. Derrick Henry was actually sixth in ECR and sixth in ADP, and we have him at five, so we're a little higher than uh, ECR and ADP. But this next guy, Austin Eckler, as you mentioned, 14 in ECR and 12 in ADP, which is fucking ludicrous. <laughs> it's so, insanity. Um, we've talked about Austin Eckler a lot, so I'm not going to delve into him like super, super deep. We've talked about him on numerous occasions. Austin Eckler, here's the things against him. He may lose a few targets because Tyrod doesn't check down as much. Okay, he had 108 targets last year, but any decrease that he experiences in targets, let's say – he only gets 95 targets this year, which, again, I think that's his floor. I don't think that's, like, some high ceiling that he gets that. Um, it'll be offset by the fact that he had an eight-carry-per-game difference between the games that Melvin Gordon was on the field and Melvin Gordon was not on the field. Not to mention, he had zero rushing touchdowns when Melvin Gordon came back from his holdout. And he literally got – he had three the, with Melvin Gordon there. So – He's going to be the primary goal line back. I don't give a fuck about Josh Kelly. I don't give a fuck about Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson was there last year when Melvin Gordon wasn't, and they didn't use him. They want to use Austin Eckler. They paid him as such. I tweeted this out a couple um, weeks ago, I think. Uh, yeah. The quarterback X doesn't throw to the running back position is the laziest narrative in fantasy. And the reason it's the laziest narrative in fantasy is because it applies to guys like Leonard Fournette who is not a good receiving back, who maybe, like if he had Phillip Rivers as a quarterback or something, would get a lot of volume because he's just there. Yeah. And Phillip Rivers checks down. That bit us in the ass with Christian McCaffrey. Does anyone remember this? In 2017, before the season, I remember the narrative that Christian McCaffrey isn't going to get a lot of volume because Cam doesn't check down. Does any sound familiar to anyone? I remember it. In 2016, yeah. it was true. In 2016, Cam threw to the running back position at a 13% rate. 32nd in the NFL, dead last. 
In 2017, Christian McCaffrey was drafted. That number jumped to 27%, which was tied for third in the NFL. Austin Eckler, and if maybe you haven't heard us talk about Austin Eckler and this shocks you, he is like just a tad below how good Christian McCaffrey is as a receiving back. Like he is the second best receiving back in the league, in my opinion. It's him and Alvin Kamara. They're neck and neck. Um, And I also, this uh, Dynasty guy on Twitter, I couldn't remember his name, but I retweeted it if you want to go check it out. Um, he tweeted this out and he basically took Tyrod Taylor's 2016 and 2017 campaigns and he averaged the percentage of targets that went to the running back position. So last year, Phillip Rivers, his like all time like high throwing to the running back position was 31% of his targets went to running backs. Well, Tyrod Taylor in 2017, when he just had LaShawn McCoy, Ty, uh, Phillip Rivers had both Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler last year. He threw to LaShawn McCoy or whoever else was at the running back position 30% of the time, which was only 1% less than Phillip Rivers. So even if the overall passing volume goes down a little bit, Tyrod Taylor is still going to throw the ball to Austin Eckler. One, because Austin Eckler demands it because he's that good. And two, because Tyrod Taylor has actually shown propensity to do it. And if Justin Herbert comes in, he's a rookie. He had a great receiving back in, in college too. CJ Verdell, excellent receiving back. So he's going to be like more, propone, uh, more prone to do it as well. I'm not worried for Austin Eckler at all. I think he's one of the safest picks in fantasy this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree. I mean, you guys have known by now just how high we are on Austin Eckler. But as you mentioned, I mean, the increase or the, sorry, the, the expected quote unquote decrease in targets is going to be supplemented by the increase in carries. I mean, 204 and, and touchdowns too. Cause they exactly. Like, and I've heard his receiving touchdowns might go down one. I don't think that's true because he's an elite receiving back. So he's probably going to get six again, but if, if he gets four, he's going to get like five more rushing touchdowns. So like, I don't Easily. really care that his receiving touchdowns go down. <laughs> If you're looking at it just from an opportunity standpoint, because everybody loves opportunity in fantasy football, 204 vacated touches left by Melvin Gordon in the 12 games he played, 17 per game. Do we really think that Justin Jackson, who was there last year, didn't do fuck all last year, and a fourth-round rookie in Josh Kelly is going to absorb 204 they touchdowns? traded up for an touches? inside linebacker when Jonathan touches? Taylor was on the board. It's just it's fucking bullshit that people want to cling to. Oh, Philip Rivers doesn't check. Or, or sorry, Philip Rivers is the dump off king. Tyrod Taylor's not going to check it down. I said it in a previous video when I called him the fucking league winner. Thirty-five percent snaps in the slot, second behind Tariq Cohen. Twenty-eight point seven percent target share in the slot, first among running backs. I mean, it's just insanity that people want to fucking fade this guy. I lose sleep. Thinking of like just these idiots that say, "Oh, he's fourteen. He's gonna, he's gonna have seventy targets next year. You're gonna see." Blah, 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 blah. Like, get the fuck out of my mentions, please. Y'all All don't right. know. Let's oh, move man. on from Austin Eckler since we went a little handball on him already. <laughs> yeah, All right, well, we had to. But uh, the next is very much like Austin Eckler, in my opinion. In terms of receiving. Just the uh, way he plays. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, it's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running back from the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, the only first-round rookie running back of this year's class lands in the best situation in fantasy football. I mean, it's just a match made in heaven. But actually looking at the situation for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he is easily the biggest riser from the opt-out period. He basically went from like a fringe RB1, RB2, like RB12, 13 area in terms of rankings due to the effect of Damian Williams to now he's a locked and loaded mid first round pick. You're not getting him past the top eight or nine at this point if you want him. I mean, plain and simple, that opt out of Damian Williams is one of the most crucial decisions in fantasy football. I mean, if you're looking at it with Clyde, people point to the situation. Oh, this is what buoys his value. This is what basically keeps his value afloat. Yes, I mean, it's fully true that the system helped Damian Williams to success over the past two seasons. And if you're actually taking the split from last year, in games that, he, that Damian Williams played 50% of the snaps or greater, he produced 17.2 PPR points per game, which is an RB10 pace. 50% of the snaps. Cloud Edward Tolaire is both a better talent and poised to absolutely smash more than 50% of snaps per game. If you're actually looking at it, I mean, in terms of receiving talent, in terms of what he's going to be able to do on the ground, Touchdown upside. He has all the traits you look for in a stud fantasy football running back. You're looking for touchdowns? Well, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to score a hell of a lot of touchdowns. You're looking for receiving upside? Well, we saw what he was able to do in college in that LSU system. Joe Burrow relied on him, and Patrick Mahomes picked him himself. What does that mean? Patrick Mahomes wants to fucking throw to this guy in space. If you don't believe me, look what he did with Damian Williams in the fucking Super Bowl. Who should 
let's get it. Let's be honest. Probably should have won MVP, but I'm not going to get into that. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, he is a smash running back stud for this year. We have him at number seven, PPR. He could very well have a top two type three type ceiling if he scores 15 touchdowns, which is fully in the realm of possibilities in that KC system. Fire away, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, mid round running back, lock it in. Yep. And Kansas City running backs, just for the record, have averaged nearly two touchdowns per game when Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback. So Bingo. if you don't like and if, if you think Clyde Edwards Lair is too slow, like Kareem Hunt ran like the same 40 time as him. So like it's it's whatever. So the next guy definitely ran a faster 40 time than Clyde Edwards Lair, and that's Miles Sanders. So initially I was opposed to Miles Sanders. If you watched our rankings videos in June, I, I didn't really believe that they were gonna let this dude be the the stud workhorse running back. And I thought they were going to sign a veteran. And if Sanders is alone in this backfield, as he is right now, I know like Boston Scott's there, but he's alone. Like, let's be honest. It's Miles Sanders' backfield. He will be a top 10 running back. Like, he just will. He's got a top 8-0 line, even without Brandon Brooks. They brought in Jason Peters to supplement the Brandon Brooks injury and play guard, and uh, Andre Dillard's going to kick out to left tackle. He's got heavy passing game involvement. He had, like, 70 targets in, like on, like, 40% of the snaps last year. So he's just going to be peppered with targets by Wentz. And he had elite efficiency. He was like number eight or he was top eight in like yards per target and uh, yards per touch. Like he is, he's just a super good player. My only worry for Sanders, and this is really league specific. So this is something you should really pay attention to. They could still sign someone. I'm not like holding out hope that they, they're just like done with all the free agents and they're just going to go into the season the way they have it right now. Veterans are going to be cut in camp. And if they sign someone, like if Peyton Barber gets cut by the Redskins, which is very likely maybe not as likely now that Darius Geis is gone, but if someone like that of that like realm gets cut, it could hurt Miles Sanders if they sign him like, I don't know, like early September or late August or whatever. So if you have your draft, like I do, my main draft is this weekend. Miles Sanders scares me a little bit because if I pick him and like two weeks later, they sign someone that, that hurts. Like if, if you have a late draft, I wouldn't worry about this kind of point. Cause you'll know whether Miles Sanders is the, is the back to own there or not. And he still would be the back to own, even if they sign someone like that, but it does cap his ceiling. So just, just be cautious of Miles Sanders. If you're drafting in the next like week or two. Yeah. I mean, you guys can kind of see my thoughts on Miles Sanders in tomorrow's video, the ADP battles. You're going to see a little sneak preview. I'm going to, the only thing I'm going to mention is Sanders is going to preview and a guy we're going to talk about in a couple points is going to preview as well. You guys know by now I'm very high on Miles Sanders. I do think even if they sign a, a mid-tier kind of like early down uh, running back, I'm not too worried because we did see that Boston Scott was actually like decently involved last year and it really didn't matter because Miles Sanders is the guy that they want to get the ball there. I mean, I'm going to break it down a little bit more for, for you guys tomorrow, but uh, stay tuned for that because that's where I'm kind of go, going to go a little more into the points. But uh, anyways, we're going to go to number nine and this guy on a talent basis Number nine, pretty uh, seems pretty disrespectful. But when you're weighing all the risk, all the, the the concerns that come with this guy, it's kind of baked into this ranking. And again, it's Dalvin Cook. I mean, this ranking is either going to make us look stupid from a low standpoint or a high standpoint by the end of the season. It really just depends on how this holdout really plays out. So, I mean, we know the the story by now. When Dalvin Cook is fully healthy he is capable of breaking fantasy football matchups. He's a player who could drop 30, 35 on you and absolutely win you a week because he is that elite of a talent and that good of a situation. However, he's a lot riskier than the other running backs going in this first round range. When you're actually looking at it, he's a holdout candidate and the situation still hasn't figured itself out at this current juncture in the offseason. That's concerning, plain and simple. We don't know if he's going to have a holdout situation like a Melvin Gordon, like an Ezekiel Elliott, to the point where ultimately if you're taking this guy in your first round and he's not playing in the first few games, that is going to severely hamper your ability to win your fantasy football championships if you're losing out on your first round pick in those first few, first few games. So ultimately here, you got those concerns. Didn't even mention, this is a still a player who hasn't, fulfilled, who hasn't played a full season yet in his career. I mean – Ultimately here, he just way riskier than the eight names we already listed. But I mean, if this is all cleared out, if the contract is signed prior to the season, you're drafting later on and that, you know, this guy's locked and secure to play week one, he's going to be a higher rank. He's going to be in that top six range. We know this for a fact, just for the matter when we're recording this, we don't have the certainty of the situation, 
we have to take that in. And if we were drafting tomorrow, he would be the RB9 we would take off the board simply because of those risks. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Edwin Porras also talked about the risk that he has, like from an shoulder. injury perspective, that separating his shoulder. Um, he didn't, I, I believe he didn't have surgery on it. So he has like about a 50 50 shot of separating his shoulder again, which yeah. is concerning because. I mean, I'm not counting on 16 games out of Dalvin Cook. I don't think anyone is. I think that's why you have to pick Dal- uh, Alexander Madison if you pick Dalvin Cook. He, him and Kenyon Drake, to me, are we'll, who we'll talk about in a couple, uh, couple points. But him and Kenyon Drake, to me, are you, you have to grab their handcuffs. Like, you just absolutely have to do it because, one, with Kenyon Drake, we haven't seen him do it. And with Dalvin Cook, we haven't seen him do it over a full season. So Exactly. Both those guys, they, just, they make me nervous from, like, a – from a first round pick perspective. If they were second round picks, I wouldn't be as nervous about them, but obviously you can just grab their handcuffs to mitigate some of that risk. So the next guy on our list that we have at number 10 here, and to me, That's to your guy. Honest, I feel like I'm too low on this guy. Like at number 10, uh, do I have him at number 10? Yeah, I have him at number 10. Josh Jacobs is my number 10 running back. And I love Josh Jacobs. It doesn't feel like I have him at number 10, but the reason I have him here is because of the receiving upside that Miles Sanders and Austin Eckler and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire have that Josh Jacobs hasn't proven yet. He can catch the ball. He's good at it. But, and I tweeted this out a couple, uh, couple days ago, what's the difference between him and Joe Mixon? Everyone thinks Joe Mixon's going to have this elite receiving season, but Josh Jacobs ha- not only has the same kind of talent level that Joe Mixon has in the receiving game, it's the same situation also. And we're, we're basically just projecting Mixon to get some elite receiving um, thing that he hasn't seen yet. So Josh Jacobs, to me, is at the very minimum, he's Derrick Henry light. He's going to get 300 carries. His offensive line, his offensive line is elite from a run-blocking perspective, and the offense should be more improved in general. They added um, receivers like Brian Edwards, who's getting a lot of talk in camp, Henry Ruggs, who everyone knows that I love. Like, that's going to spread the offense out and make things easier on Jacobs. He owns the goal line carries. It's, it's his job on the goal line. When they're in the t- uh, inside the 10-yard line, it's Josh Jacobs getting the ball. He's also very good at football too, which helps when you're playing fantasy. He's had the most elusive running back season in PFF history as a rookie with a separated shoulder. And he lost like 10 pounds before the season because he was like deathly ill. His comments to me of him saying that he wants to have like 60 receptions this year. If first of all, if that happens, he might be the number one running back in fantasy. Second of all, him saying that, I don't think he's just saying that to say it. I think Gruden and Mayock have given them the impression that he's going to be used in the passing game. Now, what does that mean? We, set, we saw with Jordan Howard a couple of years ago that they actually tried to use him in the passing game. If he's not effective in that role, then they might just take that away. And they might have intended for him to catch 60 passes. But I think Josh Jacobs is a great receiver. I thought it was one of his best uh, attributes as a, a running back at Alabama. So if he's given the opportunity, he's going to be very good with it. I don't give a fuck about all the pass-catching running backs on the roster. If they want to use him in the passing game, they're going to. So Jalen Richard and Lynn Bowden and all these guys – are tertiary targets in the running back uh, room from a, a target perspective. I don't think they're going to just be like, oh, we can't use Josh Jacobs in the passing game because we re- re-signed Jalen Richard. Silly us, we can't do that. No, they're, if he wants to be – or if they want to use him in the passing game, they're just going to do it. Hey, what about Jason Witten, man? Huge addition. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing. It's just Lucas. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I mean, Josh Jacobs, I mean, we saw last year, again, you mentioned number one elusive rating amongst all – running backs best they charted in pff history i mean it's just plain and simple he is a fantastic talent as a runner in the entire league i mean if they're if they want to get him involved they are going to and if he does get involved if he does see that boost you mentioned 60 receptions he does have that top five upside if he does that plain and simple because i mean we saw last year from consistency standpoint i mean you don't typically see a rookie running back just step in to that situation and just absolutely do what he did, especially one as unknown. Like, obviously, you know, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, they can step in top 10 draft capital and just perform right off the bat like that. We saw a little bit from Nick Chubb over the last eight games. But Josh Jacobs, from week one, as a late first-round pick, a guy that was relatively unproven, according to the majority of the fantasy community. Yeah, well, like, oh, when you, well, he wasn't the bell cow in college for three exactly. years like Nick Chubb was. Like, he, he was the guy that was the late riser. Like, after the season – no one's when once the first person said Josh Jacobs is the best running back in this draft class, it was a hot laugh. take. It yeah. was a hot take in December. It was Damian, a hot take in his, January. It wasn't like teammate. known. People thought Damian Harris yeah. of the backfield was the better running back. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to mention that 
people had Damian Harris ranked ahead of him in his own backfield. And then once people actually got up to the NFL draft, watched a little bit more tape on him, saw just how good of a player he actually was in that limited sample size, they're like, you know what? The only thing that he really has that lacked his game is the fact that he didn't have it for a full season in college, which actually may have been a pro because you saw this season he came out and he was absolutely effective without that big resume in college. And, and he, he played, played through some injuries too. Don't yeah, let, don't get he, it twisted. He wasn't like – like he. it's not because he didn't hold up. Like he was not healthy to start the season. Yeah. Like And he played 13 games or whatever he played. Like if he's good to go right now, which actually is a little concerning that he hasn't practiced yet, but he, he could be – like he could be the top – like a top three running back in fantasy. Like I do believe he's that good. And I, I believe he has great touchdown upside. I think the offense is going to take a step forward if he goes up in the receiving game, even more to his ceiling. But let's go to the next guy since we've been talking about Jacobs for a bit. And uh, Joe Mixon's our number yeah. 11 running back. I'll take this away with Joe Mixon. I mean, this is the one who's going – like when, when a film grinder sees this ranking RB11, they are going to be pissed. That ECR is what eight, I get. By the way, and yeah. ADP7. So we are yeah. quite a bit lower on Joe Mixon than the consensus yeah. and the public. Yeah, I mean, because plain and simple, like he's a tape grinder's dream. I mean, if you're if you're counting just straight talent at the position, he's easily a top six or seven back in my opinion. I mean, he is just a prime example of why talent doesn't paint the whole picture, in my opinion, towards success in fantasy football. I mean, if you're actually projecting the situation, he's still a player who's playing behind a bottom 12 offensive line, in my opinion, one that offers decent but not elite PPR upside in the receiving game. Based on the objective proof through his career so far that he doesn't that, that he hasn't been that involved in the passing game. People want to tote him as an elite pass catcher. Oh, Joe Mixon. It would have happened last year. That's that's my point. And that's the difference between him and, and Mix and uh, Jacobs is with Jacobs, we don't know yet. We don't know if they plan to use him that way. With Mixon, we have an idea that they they kind of don't want to use him that way because they still have Gio Bernard and they haven't they didn't do it last year, even though half their receiving core got injured. Yeah, and I mean, if we're adding to it as well, not to mention, the two biggest things you look for in fantasy football is offensive success in terms of scoring points and PPR upside. Well, I already just mentioned the PPR upside. Joe Mixon is a player who hasn't had more than 10 touchdowns in his career up to this point. And plain and simple, if you're not offering me elite touchdown upside or elite PPR upside, what are you really offering me? Like, again... He's probably going to outperform the RB11 stance. He's probably I don't know, be- man. This, is my, this might be where he finishes. I don't think he has, like, top five upside unless he gets some, that, like, production and, and, in the receiving game. Or and that's what I was going to say. he's just really good for whatever reason. That's what I was going to say. I think, like, he's most likely to finish, again, as you mentioned, like, that RB, like, 7 or 8 to RB, like, 12 range. I think he's going to figure in there. But the reason why he's 11 on our list, because all the guys we mentioned above, have legitimate top five upside. I just don't believe that Mixon does. And you guys are going to hear a little more about that tomorrow. But uh, yeah, it, it just sucks because as a talent, you want to put them higher, but you just simply can't when you actually analyze the situation as you alluded to prior to starting this video. Yeah, let's just pray that he's a free agent after this year. Let's just pray that like Kyle Shanahan signs him or something. Like that'd be fucking sick. First goes of the, goes actually, the probably not because he'd probably play like Salvin Ahmed over him on passing downs. But- it goes, goes to the Bucks. Yo, fuck, that'd be awesome. Anyway, <laughs> next guy, and you mentioned it, uh, the guys ahead of Joe Mixon have the potential to finish higher. And this guy, in my opinion, I haven't ranked higher than Joe Mixon. I have him as my RB11. Aaron Jones, I mean, he's super, super efficient. He's going to experience a little bit of touchdown regression. Yeah, because he had 19 touchdowns last year. But that doesn't mean he should be faded into oblivion. Like, because I've seen people, like, just let him fall to, like, the third round. Like, he was the RB2 last year. And – Jones was a huge winner of the offseason. That might shock some people because they drafted a running back in the second round. But A.J. Dillon's here to replace Jamal Williams. Like, he's not there to replace Aaron Jones. He's going to be the thunder to Jones's lightning. And Jones has never been the type of uh, running back that's going to take the dirty carries anyway. Like, the, the third and ones when you need to pick up a dirty yard. Like, that's A.J. Dillon all day. The yeah. front office added no competition to the pass-catching core. Like, none. Like, it's Alan Lazard and Jay Sternberger is who we're excited about. <laughs> outside of Devontae Adams. It's the Devontae Adams show. Jones likely slots in as the number two target. Whether he's used, and I think this is very possible that they use him more like in the slot and stuff. I don't think he's going to be in the backfield all the time. He's not necessarily a target of mine. I wouldn't say I'm like getting a lot of him and I'm getting a lot of shares of him, mainly because I'm getting Austin Eckler there. So that's probably why, but uh, I do think he's a lot safer than he's given credit for. I, I also think 
it's worth noting that they're working on an extension for the guy. They are trying to keep him in Green Bay. They're not like just going to use him up this year and and send him on his way packing, although that's a narrative that some people like to think is real. Um, <laughs> I, I think Aaron Jones is, is virtually like a lock to finish as a top 12 running back because I think he's going to catch like 60 or 70 balls. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, again, I have them, I believe, at 13 right now. I mean, they're pretty similar. This kind of range between like, I want to say like 11 and 14. It's kind of all similar. But for Jones, you mentioned the people that are just writing him off right, right away, like, oh, he's not going to do last year. Regression, regression, 19 touchdowns, regression, regression. I fully understand he's probably not going to score 19 touchdowns again. We're acknowledging he's probably not going to finish as the RB2 again. But this is still a player with supreme talent in the rushing game that's also going to get a lot of PPR usage. Not to mention, I mean, this is still a 13-3 and Packers team that is probably going to have a decent offense. If they have a decent offense, he's still going to be in position to score those touchdowns. We're looking at it from this perspective. Oh, well, A.J. Dillon is a big thundering back. He's going to steal the goal line touches. People's biggest narrative in their head is size equals goal line work. And that is just the most false, stupid thing I've ever fucking heard. Because the guy we're going to mention after uh, in a couple, Nick Chubb, was actually one of the least efficient goal line backs. The guy that we're mentioning year. next was the most efficient, and he's small. Exactly. And then Jones was up there with him. So, I mean, fire up the Jones the Jones stocks because, honest to God, this guy should not be slipping out of your second round. And if you're, if you're able, for example, you could have a league realistically where you take McCaffrey at the 101 you get a guy like Kittle or Kelsey and Aaron Jones on the turn. Like, that is insanity to even think about. Yeah, especially if you play in a full PPR, you're getting, like, 180 catches from your running backs combined. For sure, for sure. I mean, you mentioned Jones. The the, the value is still there. Don't let him slip. But, I mean, the next guy we're going to mention is really mostly here due to the risk because his upside could be absolutely league-winning type, and that's Kenyon Drake. So, I mean, as I mentioned, he is the epitome of boomer bust in the 2020 fantasy football season. I mean, we've seen it. This is a player who's always shown flashes of potential talent when given the opportunity. And his real first big break, I'd say, came in the last eight games uh, of 2019 when he got acquired by the Arizona Cardinals. So well, He had actually, a stretch in 2017 in Miami, too, where he was really Oh, yeah, good that's fair, too. So he had, a few, he had a few games there. But the main one that people are salivating over is in those last eight games, 19.93 PPR points per game and eight rushing touchdowns. That point-per-game clip would have had him ranked as the RB3 if projected throughout the full season. Ultimately here, I mean, if you're getting this guy in the second round, he has the potential to be a league-winning type upside play in that area. But ultimately, the reason why he's at 13 is due to the risk. Well, is he going to be able to hold up for a full season? Is he going to be able to continue that scorching pace? As you mentioned, we saw in 2017, 2018, he ended up busting. Ultimately, here, here, he's just outside our top 12, but we acknowledge that this guy could make us look silly at the end of the year because the upside is here, but the floor is pretty much non-existent if he's not able to carry because we still see that behind him, Chase Edmonds is a very adequate back if Kenyon Drake were to struggle as well. Yeah, I think he's this year's Damian Williams, and I know Damian Williams didn't really work out last year, but there's a world where Damian Williams was like a league-winning running back yeah. last year because he was good when he was on the field. The problem is he dealt with like injuries and Mahomes got hurt and all that stuff. So I, I do think there's a, there's a possibility that Kenyon Drake is like a top three running back in fantasy. Agreed. Like, he could be like very, very good. My policy, though, is that especially with running backs early on, running there's- backs get pushed up the board just because, we like the men, as we mentioned at the beginning of the video, you got to get him early. So to me, Kenyon Drake is the type of guy that can lose you a fantasy league. Like if you pick him and he busts, and if he busts, it could be really bad too. Um, he could just fuck you completely over, which is why I think you absolutely have to get Chase Edmonds if you get Kenyon Drake. He is one of the two running backs that you absolutely have to handcuff, in my opinion. Agree. So on to a guy that I think is almost the polar opposite of Kenyon Drake, and I think there's yeah. no way this guy busts, and that's uh, Nick Chubb. So – with Nick Chubb, we have him ranked at RB14. I, I think he's 100% going to outperform where we have him ranked. Right now. I think he's probably RB8 to 12, and you could probably lock that in stone. But he, to me, is basically what Jordan Howard was when he was in Chicago, like those first two seasons he was in the NFL. When he was like, he was just like a bell cow running back. Like he got 20 carries a game and he got all the goal line work. I don't like fading good football players because Nick Chubb is very, very good. It's fantastic. He, he's. 
in my opinion, with uh, as well as Joe Mixon, a top six or seven overall talent at the position. I mean, yeah. as a as a pure runner, I mentioned Derrick Henry, Henry like Zeke Elliott are like the best like pure runners in the league. Easily. And probably Jacobs is going to be in that territory soon. Um, but this is a situation that there's honestly just two great football players in the same backfield, and they're going to vulture each other. Uh, Hunt is the passing down back, and he should take away the odd like goal line carry and like big play from Chubb, and it's going to piss you off if you own Nick Chubb, in my opinion. So Nick Chubb is a fine RB2, but I, I don't feel great if he's my RB1, which is why I would suggest you get like Josh Jacobs as your RB1 and Nick Chubb as your RB2 if that's how the board falls. But Chubb's got a, he's got a 20 touch floor every game. So he is still going to be very good and he'll likely outperform this ranking, as I mentioned, but his week over week ceiling is not the, the level of the, of these other guys, because for Nick Chubb to have an elite game in, in terms of a ceiling perspective, he needs to break away a huge run or he needs to have two or three touchdowns, which he's shown capable of doing, but it's harder to predict. And it'll probably happen less often than someone like Austin Eckler or Clyde Edwards Hilaire who can have like an eight catch game and also like a touchdown or two. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. I mean, if again, I mentioned the talent, uh, 0.91 rush yards over expectations was second in the league, only behind Henry, as I was kind of alluding to before. But you mentioned, I mean, Kareem Hunt is another top 10 to 12 talent at the position. I mean, that is the reason why Nick Chubb is at 14, because if Kareem Hunt is not there, he is easily a top He might, eight he might be right with Derrick Henry if he, if he wasn't. Easily. Like, yeah. Easily. I mean, if you're looking at it last year, the splits with and without uh, Hunt on the field, or yeah, Hunt on the field. I mean, it, they were just evident. I mean, his receiving work got absolutely cut out. And in general, I mean, Kareem Hunt is there for a reason. And that reason is because he's a fantastic football player. I mean, obviously, as a fantasy manager, you, you would want to see, oh, well, Nick Chubb is such a talent, man. Like if Kareem Hunt wasn't there, blah, 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 blah. Kareem Hunt is there. Maybe if we're talking about 2021 fantasy football, Nick Chubb is a first-round pick. But judging from the situation going into this year, with Kareem Hunt still there, you can't take him in that area, plain and simple. I mean, RB14, while it may seem low, just doesn't present the similar upside to the other 13 names we mentioned Worth before. noting that RB14, in terms of the way we draft, is like the 16th player off the board. <laughs> oh, for would, sure. I would still pick Nick Chubb over, like, probably who uh, – I don't know. Between him and like Julio Jones and like and Devonte Adams for me, like it's pretty close just because of the uh, positional. Yeah, like, so I, I still would, think he should be like a mid second round pick, but I wouldn't pick him much higher than the, that. I would pick the the four receivers over him, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Like plain and simple, he'd probably be my 18th overall player, so a mid second round type talent, or not talent, but type player because talent he'd be higher. But anyways. Let's get into the next name. This is kind of a, a name that's kind of been disrespected by a lot of the community. I mean, if you're mentioning those third round running backs, he's kind of the name that just gets swept aside. People talk about Gurley. People talk about Yeah, uh, we could Carson. probably run through this one pretty quick, just given yeah. that we're going pretty long on this one. And we've talked sure. about this guy quite a bit. So for sure. I mean, it's going to be Melvin Gordon. I'm going to show the graphic on the screen, but basically since 2016, He's finished as the RB5, RB7, RB7, and RB14 on a points-per-game basis. And people are using the recency bias where he split the backfield with Austin Eckler, who had a stranglehold on the receiving game, as a reason for him not to be a top-15 back. When in reality, he's stepping into a situation with Denver while Philip Lindsay is there. People want to associate him with receiving work just because he's small. Melvin Gordon is the far superior receiving back, not to mention Melvin Gordon has shown and proven that he can do it on the goal line. Yes, Philip Lindsay is an efficient goal line back as well. But for Melvin Gordon in the past two years, 15 total touchdowns from inside the 20 in the last 23 games, or 0.65 per game. Extrapolating that for a full season, that's a 10 touchdown pace from inside the 20-yard line. Melvin Gordon, you have to take him, plain and simple. If he, if you need an RB2 in that third-round area, he's the one I am most confident in making that player. Top 15 running back for me. Yeah, and he's he's someone that I'm I love getting him as my third running back because we've mentioned how good having running backs in fantasy is when you can stack like a guy like Austin Eckler and and Josh Jacobs and get Melvin Gordon at the back end of the third as your yeah, like your flex, as a flex like that's that's really good. This next guy we're actually significantly higher on than ECR and ADP, and it's not really because I'm like super in on this guy. I just don't know where the fuck to put him to be yeah, honest. Really. I, I love Jonathan Taylor. Like, as, as a player, I love the O-line that he steps into. I think it is a match made in heaven. I think this time next year, Jonathan Taylor will be a top five fantasy pick because I think he's going to have an excellent rookie year. 
The question is, when does that start? Is my is my only issue with with Jonathan Taylor? If he's a third, fourth round pick, I don't want anything to do with him. If he's a fifth round pick, that's when I start getting comfortable with him because the talk of committees, it doesn't guarantee that he's going to be in a committee the whole season. But what it does guarantee is that he's going to get off to a slow start because he has to beat out guys in the backfield slash wait for them to get injured so he's just automatically the starter. So I wouldn't pick him in the fifth, until the fifth round, as I mentioned. I, I'd avoid him until then, basically because he needs to be your RB3 or 4 for your team to like function without him, given that the fact that you're going to have to use a high pick on him. So if you don't draft him, this is also another strategy. You could just straight up avoid him and go trade for him after like week three or so, because by then the owner's going to be a bit frustrated. You'll probably be able to get him cheaper than you would have in the draft. And if you have a guy like Mark Ingram, who we're going to talk about later, you could flip him straight up. Just Mark Ingram's going to be off to a hot start. You could flip Mark Ingram straight up for Jonathan Taylor. And I think that's a very, very smart decision because JK Dobbins is looming on Mark Ingram. And by then Jonathan Taylor should be starting to establish himself and take over that backfield. For sure. I fully agree. I mean, I have Taylor at my 18 right now. And that's simply because like, realistically, we know the slow starts coming, but after slow start is going to happen, I can fully see him. Like realistically, if he entered the season without Marlon Mack, without competition, he would be in that RB eight, nine, 10, 11 type range simply because the upside in that Indianapolis offense behind that. I'd pick him ahead of Joe Mixon if, if, yeah. he was, if he was Same. alone. Same. Same. So going into the next guy, this is the guy, basically the polar opposite of Jonathan Taylor to start the season. And that you know the volume is going to be there. Well, according to last year. And I mean, those volume is king truthers. They can take a breath. Comment section. You don't have to keep pounding the keyboard because Leonard Fournette is coming next. Next name in our ranking. So if you're looking at 2019, his volume was the only reason he actually reached RB9 on points per game. So I'll show it on the screen. But he was second in snap share, second in opportunity share, seventh in overall carries, fourth in overall targets, second in weighted opportunities, and fourth in red zone touches. Keep that in mind, how many metrics he was top eight in and still finishes the RB9. Realistically, any other – like. Above average 15 other running backs that might have been up where Christian McCaffrey was if they got that type of volume. Easily. I mean, it's just astonishing. He had 365 opportunities in 15 games, 24.3 opportunities per game, and he was unable to do more with his touches. Just a completely inefficient, lack of talent type player that people just want to hype up because quote-unquote volume is king. And then not to mention, I mean, I do think that that volume – really takes a hit, especially in the receiving game, because 2019 was a huge outlier for him in the receiving game. He basically went, talking about negative regression, he basically went from a career average of 3.47 targets per game in 2017 and 18 to 6.67 in 2019. Nearly doubled the fucking targets last year. Yeah, it no just, one's using the, the, Philip, or the Gardner Minshew's the check down king line on him. Easily. I mean, plain and simple, they brought in Chris Thompson for a reason. The reason is fucking Leonard Fournette sucks in the receiving game. He's one of the most inefficient receiving backs in the last year on those 100 targets. If, if you need a, a, a back-end type RBQ, you're picking at the end of the third, early fourth. You know, you took a couple of receivers. You need a guy, you know, provide you a little bit of safety. Okay, I don't mind him there in like the fourth round area. But man, no way I'm picking him over Melvin Gordon, though. No way. No way. No way I am picking him over Melvin Gordon, and that's where he's currently being taken. He's currently being taken in that early third-round area, in which if he's going ahead of Melvin Gordon, I am absolutely avoiding. If he's making to that fourth round, Melvin Gordon's gone. He slips a little bit. Then I start thinking about it because, okay, you know what? He has a decent baseline. We have him still at RB17 because of that workload. But ultimately here, do not pick him over guys with actual upside with their volume. So, I mean, getting into the next guy, kind of a – Similar to JT in that he's a rookie. But if you're actually looking at the situation, I do think he has an easier path to work uh, right away. And I actually have him ranked above JT currently. I have him as my RB16. He's our 18 in consensus. And that is DeAndre Swift running back from the Detroit Lions. So if you're looking at DeAndre Swift, he was a consensus top two running back prospect before the NFL draft. He lands in a situation with top 40 draft capital, 35 to be exact. And he has a clear role right away to be a good running back on the team, yet we just push him down our draft boards. I just call that BS. So, I mean, if you're actually looking at DeAndre Swift, 
My comp for him in terms of play style was Alvin Kamara, simply because he's a smooth runner with incredible vision and elusiveness in the open field. He's just got that slip. Obviously, I'm not comparing his slippery nature to Alvin Kamara, who's the most slippery back in the entire NFL. But in terms of just evading tackles, in terms of just open an uh, open space, elusiveness, I mean, DeAndre Swift is a fantastic running back. If you're looking at the situation, Carryon Johnson averaged over 16 touches per game for Detroit last year. And DeAndre Swift is a far superior talent as a prospect, in my opinion. And people want to say, oh, well, the first eight games, Matt Stafford in the passing offense was really humming, homing, yada, yada, yada. But when you actually break it down, in those eight games that Matt Stafford played last year, they were a mere 18th in pass-to-run split in neutral game scripts. Plain and simple. They still wanted to run the ball, but simply put, Carryon Johnson was A, inefficient, and B, injured to the point where he was ineffective in the ground game. So ultimately here, you're getting DeAndre Swift, who is efficient and is healthy, in a 12 to 15 touch roll rate to start the season, which I do think will increase over the majority of the season. I think he can easily outperform his draft spot. And even at RB18, I think that is a value because I think he's got legitimate top 15 upside, even as a rookie, even as a reduced role at the start of the season. So I am all in on DeAndre Swift. If you're getting him in your fifth round, making him your RB3, that is one of the most valuable plays in fantasy football 2020 redraft, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm at RB21, so I'm, I'm a little bit lower on you, but we're still both, I like, I mean, you're 10 above ADP and ECR, yeah. I'm like six above it. So I love DeAndre Swift. I, I've said this before. I think on Johnson's in the doghouse. Like, I, I think they want DeAndre Swift to win this job, like, really bad. And I, I do think they're going to favor him, even if it's an even split. I know he's a rookie, but it's a running back position. Like, the running back position is the most easily translatable position in the NFL from college to pro. So no qualms with DeAndre Swift at 18. I, I have him at 21, but I, I still think he deserves to be in this conversation. This is a guy actually, this next guy, I actually have him higher than Leonard Fournette. And I mentioned it before, and that's Mark Ingram. And the reason is, is because one, he plays in the elite offense. He's the unquestioned starter in that offense. We haven't heard anything out of Ravens camp suggesting that J.K. Dobbins is like infringing on his starting job, mainly because I don't think it's going to happen. There's no preseason for J.K. Dobbins to show the fact that he's like, explosive and like electric and all that stuff but he Mark Ingram's my favorite mid-round guy like mainly because people are really off of him and like you can get him at like the beginning of the sixth round sometimes like and the reason I like him so much I, I mentioned it previous he has an excellent excellent opening schedule and in that time he's not going to have J.K. Dobbins on his back yet so you can flip him especially if you're in a casual league and I've mentioned this before after the first five weeks or so, his schedule starts to get a bit harder. And if you're in a casual league and you trade, you go Mark Ingram straight up for Jonathan Taylor and they see RB5 for RB27, they're going to be like, what an idiot. Like, yeah, obviously. Like some like casual players are going to think that way and you can take advantage of them because obviously anyone who did research knows that the, the second half of the season outlook is worse for Mark Ingram than it is for Jonathan Taylor. So I, I think – He's definitely the perfect guy to draft because, again, your draft is to win you games at the beginning of the season. You don't draft to win your championship. Don't look at championship week schedules trying to think you're going to, like, just coast your way to the championship unless your league mates are just terrible. I don't know. But you want to be winning, playing to win your championship at the beginning of the season. And a guy like Mark Ingram can definitely, definitely help you do that. And I, Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go. I was, I was just going to agree with you. Finish yeah, your last okay. points. Cool. No, no, that's all I got on Mark Ingram. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I fully agree. I mean, plain and simple. I mean, if you're looking for – say you go – I don't suggest going RB0, but if you do decide to go RB0, I mean, the next two guys we're going to mention, Ingram and your boy, we're going to say it afterwards, are the perfect mid-round RB2 compliments to your team. Plain and simple because, A, the workload is going to be there. I mean, we saw with Mark Ingram last year, even in that quote-unquote limited workload – or he was way too efficient to be uh, relevant again. He's going to be again, so He's I hate going, that argument. It's such a dumb argument because he got 200 carries last year. He was super efficient in the passing game usage that he did receive last year, and he is still playing for the Baltimore Ravens that had their starting quarterback with 176 carries on his own. Yes, he is going to thrive in that offense. He's going to be efficient, plain and simple, because guess what? Linebackers would rather him run the ball than the guy fucking handed it off to him. So plain and simple, there's always going to be an extra defender watching Lamar Jackson, making sure that he hands the ball off, that ultimately Mark Ingram's going to have a ton of more space 
with that extra defender out of the way for, uh, for him to really succeed. And plain and simple, if we're talking about scoring opportunities, there is going to be a fuck ton in the Baltimore Ravens offense. They are going to move the ball at will. That running game is going to be fantastic, as we saw last year. The only team, quite frankly, I mean, the Niners as well, I believe, but I, I think that the Ravens were over 10% more run-heavy to pass-heavy compared to everybody else in the league. So it's just insane how much extra volume that team has in overall, overall. Not to mention, I mean, people are going to say, oh, his splits in the backfield compared to his other running backs. J.K. Dobbins can get a lot of carries, yada, yada, yada. I get that. He's going to get touches. But plain and simple, Mark Ingram on 250 touches is more valuable than a fucking Leonard Fournette on 350 touches, if you ask me. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's just insane. Ultimately, fire it up, Mark Ingram. I mean, he is going to be a stud in those first few weeks, especially – Yes, J.K. Dobbins may take over later on in the season. But by I, the I still time, don't think there's any chance that, like, J.K. Dobbins is, like, a 70% opportunity share. I, I agree with that. I think I, it's going to be, at bare minimum, a 50-50 split. Like, I, feel, I fully agree. And I do expect Ingram to be the lead dog for quite a bit into the season. I think it's going to be more so, like, Dobbins is the guy next year that we're looking at, not necessarily this year. I don't think he's going to be, like, a league winner type. I think he's going to be kind of, like, you don't know when to start him, you don't know when to start Ingram towards the end of the season. So the next guy that we're going to talk about, I'm going to make this Your very boy. brief because we're going to talk about this dude all the time, and that's Ronald Jones the second. So elite offense, unquestioned starter, as Bruce Arians has said. Most of the goal line work, he should see an uptick as a receiver in the screen game with Tom Brady coming in. I don't really need to say much else because I've literally talked about him on most of our fucking episodes that we've had. So he's going to finish top 15, in my opinion. If he's the starter, as Bruce Arians says he is, which I believe he is, his upside is Aaron Jones and what Aaron Jones did last year. I, I've mentioned this before. He could have like a huge touchdown season because he's in an elite offense. So Ronald Jones back uh, at RB20, you're probably wondering if you're, if, if you've just watched other, other people's content, where the hell is Todd Gurley? Guess what? He's not in our top 20 and I'm fucking <laughs> glad that he's not. Uh, you're probably also wondering where's James Conner. He's actually 21. So he's just yeah. outside of it. Le'Veon Bell was 22. So he's also just outside of it. And then, yeah, David Montgomery just outside of it as well. Guys like that, those guys are volume is king, guys. And James Conner, if he didn't have injury concerns, he'd probably be like my RB15. So If he didn't have injury concerns, actually, he'd probably yeah, be no, a top he'd, he'd probably be higher than that. He'd probably be yeah. like RB12. So, yeah, um, yeah those tell, guys I, I, just outside. If you want to get the rest of our rankings, uh, maybe see some of our later guys, check out the draft guide link in the description. Um, yeah, Danny, do you have anything else before we get out of here? Nothing, but uh, yeah, I'm just fired up. We went through our top 20 running backs. Again, this series is coming out every Friday for you guys. We went through quarterbacks last week. Going to be attacking the wide receiver position next week. And, yeah, just stay tuned because we are giving you the full in-depth breakdowns. If you guys want to see more, make sure you check out the draft guide. We have interns. We, we analyze the team previews, talk about each individual situations per team. And in general, I mean, we, we give you guys that full analysis. So, again, if you're tuned in this far in the video, make sure you go check that out. Like, comment, subscribe down below. And until next time, we will see you guys next Friday with our next Bachelor Rankings. But peace out. Peace.